Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. As you can see, I've entitled our preaching series through Philippians as Rejoicing in Christ because it is the primary theme, it's the primary idea of this short epistle. In fact, the word rejoice or joy is used some 18 times in this epistle. By the way, what comes to your mind when you hear the word joy? What do you think about when you hear the word joy? Well, you should think of it as the heart's deep abiding contentment in Christ, regardless of outward circumstances. I don't think anyone exemplifies it more than the Apostle Paul does right in this letter. I want you to read with me verses 1 to 11, but our focus will be simply on verses 1 and 2 this morning. It says there, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both now in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And again, may God add his blessing on the reading of his word. As you notice behind me, I had a map of the first century uh, back in... when Paul was ministering, I wanted to put this up here because it's a reference point uh, for what we are going to talk about today. And as you notice, I got a little red arrow. All right, I didn't have it the last time. But anyway, if you notice, right over here is where you find Israel. All right? And then, of course, Jerusalem. If you go over a little bit, you have Galatia, which would have been Paul's first missionary journey. And then you have right next to it Asia, Asia Minor. And then you also have Troas here. Then if you go over a little ways, you have Macedonia, the province of Macedonia, with the, uh, the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And then down just below, you have the province of Achaia, which is Corinth. And then over the land mass here, you come to Italy where you have Rome. All of these places are mentioned uh, in this passage of Scripture or even throughout Philippians. And so I just wanted you to have that reference point for the things that we're going to talk about. Sort of a picture in your mind. But by way of introduction, I want you to know that the city of Philippi was very very prominent 
in the province of Macedonia, along with Thessalonica. Probably because they were on the main road from Rome to Asia. It's what they call the Ignatian Way. And so there was a lot of travel through that area. In fact, some referred to Philippi as a miniature Rome since it had adopted the the spirit and atmosphere of that city. Well, the church at Philippi was not founded until Paul's second missionary journey, after he received the Macedonian call from where? Troas. Yes, you see that in Acts chapter 16. And in fact, I would encourage you this morning to read Acts 16 this coming week, just so that you have the the rich background of this city and this church. His initial visit there was not very long. Why? Because of persecution. But it was fruitful with a number of people coming to Christ, two of which are highlighted there in Acts chapter 16. You have Lydia, the seller of purple. She was the first convert there at Philippi. And then you have the Philippian jailer coming to Christ as well. Also, I want you to know that this body of believers became very dear to the heart of the Apostle Paul as they ministered to him time and time again with monetary gifts after he left. Paul's heart was drawn to them. Their hearts were drawn to him. And even after he left, they would send monetary gifts in all sorts of ways to take care of him, to meet his need. And so his heart just drew closer and closer to this church. And so it comes as no surprise that he made a subsequent visit to this church on his third missionary journey. And you see that in Acts chapter 20. At times, he also left and sent his co-workers, Luke and Timothy, to disciple them at various times. And so indeed, there was genuine love amongst all of them. The church and the Apostle Paul, Timothy, Luke, the missionaries, co-laborers together to them. But that's not all. Some ten years later, during the Apostle's first Roman imprisonment, and that would have been probably around A.D. 60 to 62, he wrote to them the very epistle that you have before you this morning. And get this, the occasion of this letter was Epaphroditus' visit to the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Epaphroditus was the pastor of the church at Philippi. And he decided to make a trip over to see him, to bring a monetary gift to him once again, but also to minister to his need in in any way that he possibly could. So Paul responded with this letter we have before us to thank them for the gift, to thank them for sending Epaphroditus to minister to his need. So he's rejoicing in that aspect. He's also rejoicing in the partnership, the fellowship that they had with him in the gospel through all of that. And also to exhort them to unity, single-mindedness, steadfastness in the truth. All of that through this letter. And so indeed, there is in this letter joy and tremendous encouragement. I would say that for those of you who have read this epistle, and I'm imagining that most of you have, 
you just love coming to this epistle because there's joy, there's encouragement. It's such a rich blessing. So this background here sets up our study of Philippians. Beginning with the salutation there in verses 1 and 2. It's what we call the introduction to the epistle. And you see a number of these salutations again and again and again. Beginning various epistles throughout the New Testament. It's often skipped over. When you read through it, it's just like, well, it really doesn't matter. You don't give much thought to it. But I want you to know there is a lot that is said in those first two verses. It introduces the reader to some wonderful truths regarding the church, the fellowship of believers, the partnership in the church body. And though the word is never used there, that word fellowship, three times Paul mentions whom? Christ. Of Christ. In Christ. From Christ. In two verses, he mentions him three times. Christ is the heart and soul of the church. Amen? Absolutely. Without him, there is no church, and thus there is no joy. There's no fellowship. So from this text, I want you to consider with me three elements. Three elements of joyful fellowship in the church. So that, first of all, you might think rightly about the church. Sometimes we have a skewed understanding of what the church is. And there's a lot to be said about it, but I want to do it from the focus of fellowship this morning. But at the same time, I want you to be inspired to faithfulness because of the fellowship for the glory of God. So we're going to look at three elements. And the first element is found there. It's captured in the first part of verse 1. What does it say there? Paul and Timothy bondservants of Christ Jesus. Wow, what a way to start out. So what do you notice there? What's the first element of fellowship? It's simply this. It involves being slaves of Christ. Joyful fellowship involves being slaves of Christ. It does. And this is captured in the word bondservants. The Greek word there is douloi or slaves. See, Paul said this of himself and Timothy as he begins this letter. He does it without reservation, as though it's a badge of honor. (laughs) And even though it had a negative connotation there in the culture, a slave of Christ in the mind of Paul was a blessing. Why? Because it meant that he had been delivered from sin by Christ. He had a new master in Christ. And it also meant doing the will of Christ humbly but gladly because of his grace. That's the heart of a slave in Jesus Christ. That was the mind of the Apostle Paul. And yes, He did wear it as a badge of honor, even though in the culture, the idea of a slave was looked down upon. And so these men, Paul and Timothy and even Luke, served Christ, how? By serving others. The church of Philippi knew this of these men. 
they knew that these men were true bondservants of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was demonstrated even in this letter to the church. I want you to capture some of it. Look at the first couple of verses after verse 2, 3 and 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. How was he serving them? He remembered them in prayer regularly. I mean, think about that in light of all the other churches. This man lifted this church up before the Lord as well. Look what he says further in verse 23 of chapter 1. He says, But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. And oh, amen and amen, we could say that for sure. But then he goes on to say, Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So he knows in his own heart, hey, I could possibly die while I'm in prison. Well, praise the Lord. I'm going to go to be with him. But if I'm going to stay alive and remain on, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be serving you. A true bondservant of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul just didn't say it. He lived it out before them. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2. What he says about Timothy. Philippians 2 verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with you. So, though Paul says of himself and Timothy that they are bond servants of Christ, I want you to know that it's true of all God's people. We're all douloi. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? You should, because we are. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul is writing there literally to slaves at the time. They were Christian slaves. But notice what he says to them. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Why? With fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. You're a slave of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And so, therefore, you should be the slave that you ought to be. He goes on. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. In 1 Peter 2, 13 to 16, Peter writes these words, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God. Isn't that ironic? He says, act as free men. 
And you can do that as a slave of Christ. <laughs> so we're all slaves of Christ, do Lloyd. And I want you to think about that this morning. It keeps us humble. Beloved, it is this element that brings joyful fellowship in the body. And why is that? I'll tell you why. Because it's thinking of others as more important than yourself. Yes. And where does Paul talk about that? In the very next chapter, Philippians 2, 1 to 5. He wants you to have the mind of Christ. And he says there in 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about Christ, the perfect example, leaving the throne of glory to come here, take on humanity, and die our death for us. Wow. Wow. So in this body, I want us to remember that we are all slaves of Christ and are to gladly do His will by obeying Him and ministering to others. Joyful fellowship involves being slaves of Christ. Paul says that of himself in Timothy, introducing himself to the church. Well, now to another element seen there in the second half of verse 1. Look what he goes on to say. A typical salutation to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So what do you notice here? What's another element of fellowship that is captured right there? It's this. Joyful fellowship is only with the saints in Christ. It's only with the saints in Christ. This is to whom Paul was writing there in Philippi. He wasn't writing to everyone in the city. He was writing to the saints. And by saints, he was referring to holy ones. Or better, those set apart unto Christ through faith in His finished work. And Paul not only used this in regards to the church at Philippi, he also did the church at Corinth. It says in 1 Corinthians 1-2, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So now these believers here are united to Christ and they belong to his family and it's only these people who are a part of the fellowship there in Philippi because they all have something in common and what is it who's the head of the church it's Christ they belong to him so joyful fellowship can only be with the saints that's to whom Paul is writing here, not the whole city. In fact, as you can see, the apostle even mentions the overseers, pastors, elders. It's the same 
office, just with a different name. That's all. And he also mentions deacons. And these are the leaders in the church. They're not distinct from the rest of the body. Paul makes that very clear here. They are included with the saints because they all have a relationship with Jesus Christ, both leader and layperson alike. And you know, I I was thinking about that this week. I am thankful that this is stated under the inspiration of the Spirit of God here. I am. Now, no doubt, it is God's will to have leadership in the church for guidance, for protection. However, they are saints. And they must not see themselves as more or less important from others in the body, but as equals in Christ who are to serve in different roles according to their giftedness. They are. And I believe functioning with this kind of mindset there is joyful fellowship and unity amongst the believers. And it's, that, and it's captured right here in the letter. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 4. In this letter, he identifies a couple of ladies who are struggling and getting along. It doesn't tell us the issue here. None at all. But I love what he says in regards to that. You can just see a shepherd at heart who cares for his flock. He says there, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion... And we don't know who that individual is. It could have well, very well been a believer in the church or someone who was very close to them. And he says this, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He's just including all the saints here and how they are to come alongside of one another leader and lay person alike to be an encouragement to one another because we're saints in Jesus Christ look with me further at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 1 Thessalonians 5 we went through this epistle some months back and as he closed this letter Paul writes these words in verses 12 to 15 of chapter 5. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So he's speaking to the whole body, leader and layperson alike, because they are saints in Christ. 
they can get along. And they are. I want you to listen to this little story which captures this element of fellowship. The writer says this, a group of invading Japanese cavalry was lodged in a Chinese village. On their arrival, they discovered a mud church bearing the notice, this is a Jesus chapel. Eight of the cavalrymen proved to be Christians, and they fairly hugged the old Chinese pastor, explaining how glad they were to find a Christian home in the place. During the time they were in the village, they attended worship, praying and singing hymns with their Christian brethren. When they left, they gave every house where they had stayed the equivalent of $2 as well as a large bag of oats. And of course, when this was written and when this was done, it would have been way back. That's a lot there. They had something in common. It was Christ. They were saints, holy ones, chosen of God. And they found a special oneness together. You know, I found this a number of times. Uh, even though I might leave here, I'll go to a, another church, believers I don't know. But I'll end up visiting with them, and there's this heart tie that's there. I, I can't explain it, except for the fact that they're Christians, I'm a Christian. We know Christ. And so therefore, we can talk about Christ and be an encouragement to one another. I found this to be true when I went to Russia. Even though I couldn't understand half the words they spoke over there, there was genuine fellowship among them. They would share what they had with us. And we would minister to them. And there was just joy on their faces because of the fellowship we were enjoying with one another. And so first of all, beloved, aren't you thankful that you are a saint? Yes, you should be. Everyone who has been called by and justified in Christ belong to his family of chosen ones. We are saints. It's not just a select few, as some religions say. No. When you look at scriptures, those who know Christ are saints. That's wonderful. And so second, you are together to imitate him, to follow him, and serve together for him. That's what we do. And only in this, as saints, is there joyful fellowship. 1 John 2 and verse 19. The Apostle John shared these sobering words. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. I'll tell you, throughout church history, and it will continue to be so. People attach themselves to the church. They do. But that doesn't mean that they are a saint, that they are a believer. And either they will get saved, or over time, often, what happens? They leave, because they have nothing in common. The Word of God convicts their hearts. They suppress that truth. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And they leave. And that's why joyful fellowship is only with the saints. It's the only way it can be. Because we know Christ. Now to one more element of fellowship from this salutation. We come to verse 2. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, what do you notice here? What element of fellowship? It's this. Joyful fellowship is encouraged by sanctification through Christ. By sanctification through Christ. And I just want to say something right up front. Paul here was addressing those who already knew God's grace by way of salvation through Jesus Christ and were at peace with Christ. Their sins were forgiven. They were reconciled to God. So he's already writing to people who knew God's grace and peace. In fact, I think the word order here is very, very important. Each time, Paul always speaks of grace first, then peace. Why is that? Because without grace, you can't know peace. But I want you to know that here, what Paul is doing is giving a blessing. He's offering up a loving prayer to know his grace and peace more fully and to grow in it. I want you to read with me some texts that I think capture this very clearly. Turn back with me just one epistle to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. There's some familiar verses here. Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, start off with, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we are saved by grace. All here is writing individuals who knew God's grace in salvation. But it doesn't stop there, because what does verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's grace too. <laughs> But then he goes on to talk about peace. Certainly from a positional point of view. But look what he says there, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that is Jew and Gentile, into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both into one body through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Also he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints enter God's household so the true believer yes they are at peace with God sins forgiven they're reconciled so what does that mean now we can be at peace with one another okay yes it establishes that foundation in fact go with me over to Titus just one other passage here Titus chapter 2 Again, some familiar verses of Scripture here. What it says about grace. Titus 2, verse 11 and following. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, 
instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. We were just singing about that this morning. And he goes on to talk more about this grace in chapter 3, how it extends out in our walk with the Lord and with one another in the body of Christ. So you see with these godly virtues of grace and peace manifested in their lives, the Philippian church would conduct themselves, how? In a godly manner. They would have rest in their soul, a wellness in their very soul because Christ put it there and they would be at peace with one another. So yes, joyful fellowship is encouraged by sanctification through Christ. Have you ever thought about that? So many times as Christians, we want to do our own thing, go our own way, and sometimes not be what we should be before God. And that's a very selfish attitude because it impacts the rest of God's people in the church. It does. If you're not right with God or Christ on a vertical level, how can you be right on a horizontal level? So I would ask, let this blessing be what each of you pray for one another. Yeah, to pray this. Grace and peace. And even with what you greet one another here at church. <laughs> now you might say, you mean I just have to go up to somebody and say grace and peace? Yeah, sure. That's okay, that's fine. Or you might say it in a different way. What do we often do? I mean, I'm guilty of this. Come up to some, hi, how are you? Oh, good. We jump to the next person. Without taking the time to just say, hey, how are you doing? How's it going in the Lord? You know, I noticed in the prayer sheet uh, some things going on in your life. How's that going? How can I minister to you? Yeah, you're extending grace and peace at that very moment without even saying it. So this is not just saying grace and peace just coming off our lips. No, it's coming from the right motive of the heart, a genuine love for one another. Right now, the elders <laughs> are reading a book uh, to talk over at our retreat here in about a week. It's entitled, 31 Ways to Be a One Another Christian. It's a new book that's out there uh, by Stuart Scott. I don't think there's another book like this out there. Uh, it's really good. I've enjoyed it. Uh, it just introduces the various one another's in Scripture. Uh, gives an explanation of it in the context so that you understand properly. And then it uh, illustrates it and applies it. So it's, it's really good. One that I never really thought about much was this one. Number 30, greet one another. And you know the passage he used for that? Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, you're looking at it, they're going, oh, oh. let's think about that for a moment. Okay. Likely, we're not going to give a kiss to one another, although that might happen. More often or not, what do we do? We hug one another. We shake one another's hands. But is it genuine, all right? I do like what 
Stuart Scott said about this. He writes, Greetings for believers need more depth and intimacy. God does not require small talk. He requires a genuine greeting of brotherly love. He goes on to say, Even though the specifics of this one another command, kissing, might not apply, the general principle does still apply. Whichever persons we see, we should greet them in a loving, respectful fashion. And like I said, I, I haven't given much thought to that. And so it was good for my own heart just to think about something that I've not thought about. Because you know me. I'm not a very, I'm definitely not going to go around kissing everybody. And hugging, well, I'm working on that, all right? And I do shake a lot of people's hands. But again, I want it to be warm and genuine with a care and concern for God's people and to greet them with grace and peace because I know that as we are right with God, we're right with one another. And there's joyful fellowship in the body. Amen? Yes. Well, today I trust that through this salutation, which often just gets skipped over. We don't give much thought to it. I trust that your heart has come to truly understand and appreciate some key elements of Christian fellowship. To think rightly about it, it involves being slaves of Christ. It's only with the saints in Christ. And it's encouraged by sanctification through Christ. <laughs> so I chose to focus on this not only because it's captured here indirectly in these two verses, but also it sets the stage for what we're going to look at throughout this epistle. We're going to be looking at principles, truths, exhortations that capture joyful fellowship in the church body. So I pray that we will be inspired and challenged. Greater faithfulness to the glory of God. Just like the church of Philippi. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and the things that we considered from this passage. Lord, I just pray that we would take these elements of joyful fellowship with us today, that we would meditate upon them, examine our hearts, God, and do the work that only you can do. May you just bind this church here at Bethel closer and closer together as we grow in Christ and become more like Him. So I just trust you with this, God, for your glory. In 